Princess Rise for their Majesties of Royally Obsessed, the podcast for all things royals. Stand by! Three cheers for Her Majesty the Queen! Welcome back to Royally Obsessed. I'm Roberta. I'm Rachel. And it's time for your weekly update on the royal news you need to know. A couple of royal reminders. As always, follow us on Instagram at Royally Obsessed Podcast and join the Facebook group Royally Obsessed. You can also subscribe to the podcast and leave us a royal rating. Pretty please. Always send us an email at info at gallerypodcast.com. We love to hear from you. We have a wonderful reader email this week. Rachel, how are you? I'm good, but before we talk about anything, we need to just talk about your BBC moment because Roberta <laughs> was a star at the end of last week. Oh, gosh. The number one source for the news we're about to get into about Harry and Meghan. And I just think official- it's, it's so wild that they reached out two hours before. It was such a scramble. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It was- Le- Roberta, we basically got two hours notice on that request and you like – I don't know. You made everything come together magically. You had eloquent quotes. I was so proud. It was just awesome. And I can't wait that it just feels like a privilege that we get to hear even more than your four-minute take on this expansive episode. (laughs) (laughs) It never would have happened without you, Rachel. So I I feel like she was, you know, running, running the show behind the scenes and helping me gather my thoughts and while I was scrambling to take a shower and blow dry my hair, which, um, and what was also crazy, which, you know, no one realizes when you do these kinds of things, but I didn't have any video feed. So I was staring at myself. You couldn't tell just at talking. all. You couldn't that tell. That is the weirdest You were sensation. so composed. The ultimate row-row. We were so proud as are oh, all of our gosh. listeners, I'm sure. Well, thank you everyone for your kind comments on that Instagram post. That was How really was sweet. your weekend otherwise after that? Were you... Oh, just a whirlwind. <laughs> I was living in, the, you know, basking in fame. No, um, it was good. It was quiet um, and filled with, you know, a couple family dinners. And, and it was nice. I did watch Barb and Star. I, I, yeah, I. Oh, no. I feel like it was a little too silly. Like, okay. I don't know if I just wasn't in the right mindset, but I was like. But I also started Behind Her Eyes, which is a British thriller on oh, Netflix. Oh, that sounds it's supposed good. to be kind of scary. I don't know. The first okay. episode wasn't very eventful, but um, we'll see. What about right. you? How was I'm your sorry if I steered you wrong. No, with that one. I, I feel like it. I needed to be in like I just wasn't in the right mood when I watched it. All right, I think. all right. No, my weekend was good. I wanted to give you an update about my nap dress order, which I mentioned in the last uh, in the last yes. call because I I really was so excited. You ordered to get, two of them. I got just one, and I'm one. okay. Very excited. I love the fit. I love everything about it. this. Is the nap dress that Eugenie was seen in, and you know they have a new collection. The Hill House is the brand. Mm-hmm. I got it, and I got the blue one, and I didn't realize there were all these like silver flecks in the. It's like it has a silver thread that's thread. woven through. Oh. So I literally put it on and I I looked like Cinderella. <laughs> and I was thinking it would be like a casual. Like it's too much. It's just too much for my current state, but I am definitely going to exchange it for a different style. I just, I love the nap dress. I just was like, this is So too- do you feel like it's too fancy to wear just like normally is what you're saying? Maybe that's what it is. Like I was kind of getting one to have it for like summer, just like outside. And I felt like for I naps. needed to get it. Like I kind of need to fancy that one up. So I'm going to yeah, pick a different one. Right. What do right. you think? Is that too? Is no, that- I have a, I actually kind of have a qualm with mine. Um, I have two of them and one of them fits perfectly and the other one that's i have the red plaid so eugenie has that black and red plaid and i have like a red and green yeah i do like that one um but it's a little too big i feel like i should have gotten a size down they say that you should size down it says that on the website and i didn't and i regret that because i've worn it and washed it a couple times and so now i can't return it obviously but i definitely would get a smaller size next time because the the stretchiness of the elastic you know, bodice mm-hmm. is it's so stretchy. So like you could really get away with going yeah. like one or two sizes yeah. down. But I will update. I just I felt like if you want to have a princess moment, get this nap dress. It is gorgeous. But I think I need something because I'm like kind of like I don't know, just running through life right now. So I need I something a little I'm more casual. On a, um, t-shirt every day. I yeah. know what you mean. Yeah, I'll report okay. back. Well, but good to know. Good to anyways. know about that p- pattern. Well, we obviously we have so much to talk about. Some a little on the heavy side. I don't know. I'm feeling like heavy about some of the content. But first up, we're looking back at Diana and Charles' engagement, which was about 40 years ago this week, which is so mm-hmm. wild to me. We're also unpacking the Queen's statement about Harry and Meghan's non-future as royals, which feels that's the. It just feels so sad to me. Um, and exciting. We 
have we are speaking with Bethan Holt, author of The Duchess of Cambridge, A Decade of Modern Royal Style. FYI, we recorded this last week, but uh, we are airing the interview today. So it's a really, it's such a treat. And one last little bit, we're nodding to Bridgerton. So get excited. As always, we can't not mention Bridgerton. I know, that's true. Now we, we mention it every episode. Uh, well, we always have time for our royal refreshment. And now it's time for the weekly royal cocktail. Rachel, what are you sipping today? Well, so sipping, I have um, I'm tequila shots. <laughs> <gasps> wow. I, I, went downstairs, I went downstairs and raided uh, the, the liquor cabinet. And there was this uh, beautiful bottle, little nip of Casamigos tequila. It's George mm, Clooney's brand. Yeah. And yeah, I was yeah. like, that sounds, that, that sounds that, fancy and posh enough for the Royally Obsessed podcast. It kind of has a royal tie-in. Because remember when Meghan and Harry went and stayed with Exactly. That's exactly <laughs> That's what, what I you was were thinking. thinking. <laughs> <laughs> what about you? Um, I have a aperitif of vermouth, sweet vermouth. Um, I read a New York Times article that came out recently about it's titled Make Vermouth the Star. And it's all about, you know, I feel like one thing that people don't know is you should definitely store vermouth in your fridge after you open it, which is a oh, big thing. That. Nobody, everyone puts it in their liquor cabinet. And another thing is that you can actually drink it alone, and a lot of European countries do serve it by itself in Italy and Spain and all that. And so I stuck a little um, lemon. I love the sound effect of the ice cubes. Yeah. It's a little, it's very sweet. I think if you take your coffee with cream and sugar, that's what this article mentions, you should go for the sweet vermouth. If you like your coffee black, then maybe the dry, but Mm -hmm. it's good. It's good. It's like a little palate cleanser almost. Yeah. I am going to sip my I'm not going to take drink this tequila as a shot. That's too much. I, I was going to say, do you have Tuesday like a afternoon. mixer or are you just drinking I just the tequila? Went, just tequila today. Wow. Just, just a little. Okay. I have like a little bit. Really heavy stuff yeah, yeah, you yeah. have here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, while we're sipping, we got a lovely reader email from Lisa in Germany. I have to say, our international Roros are. I'm so amazing. Impressed. Yeah. We always have Thank the you best for tuning in. It's amazing. Emails from them. Yeah. So Lisa runs a royal fan account on Instagram, and she sent us an email, and she said, Dear Rachel and Roberta, while listening to the latest episode of Royally Obsessed, I scrolled through my phone and looked at old pictures. I found all the pictures from my school trip to England in July 2017, and at the time we were there, King Felipe and Queen Letizia of Spain paid a state visit to the UK. She goes on, Lisa goes on to say that while she was in London, she almost met Prince Harry. She missed him by 15 minutes at Westminster Abbey and the crowds were still there and everything. I know, what what a bummer. She also says that she wanted to quickly tell us how much I enjoy listening to the pod. I started listening the summer of 2018. It quickly became a routine to listen to the podcast and made my Thursdays so much better. She continues, last summer, I graduated from high school and started university in the fall. Time flies so fast. Many things have changed in the last years, but what didn't change is that I still listen to Royally Obsessed every Thursday. Keep up the great work. You always brighten my day when I listen to the pod. Many greetings from Germany. Lisa. I really like that because I, as we all know, this has been the most wild past year and i feel like nothing has been a constant that's like the only norm is that nothing has been constant but royally obsessed yeah. is true we've been a constant such a bright spot in our <laughs> weeks too to record yeah I feel it really so is. lucky that our listeners feel the same way so yeah all right this week in royal history and now this week in royal history as you mentioned rachel 40 years ago Diana and Charles are engaged, or announced their engagement, I should say. After a couple months of speculation, Lady Diana Spencer and Charles, Prince of Wales, announced their engagement on February 24th, 1981. You'll recall that their dating history was really short. That polo weekend that everyone kind of credits with the start of their relationship was the summer of 1980, so the summer before. So it really can be boiled down to just a six-month relationship with... People have counted, they say, only 13 actual times they met up. That's so crazy. To base an engagement on the future king of the monarch, I just feel like that is so, so wild. So reminder, they met because he was dating her sister, who was then Lady Sarah Spencer. He was 32 at the time, and she was 19. That's what I can't get over is like that she was (laughs) – I mean, we we talk about this constantly. This is not like a new idea, but just when you think about – where you were in your life when you were 19. Like, I know I was a sophomore in college. Like, that just, I I guess most people are. I'm like, I, but I just, I feel like it was a huge age difference, but it's just where you are in your life. Like, I think right. you grow up so much between 
19 and even 22, right? Right. You change so much, so. Well, and I think, too, like, it would be enough pressure, I think, for a 19-year-old to be dating a 32-year-old in normal circumstances and then to also – I mean, not that that age difference, like, that's no, there's nothing wrong with that. But, nothing, yeah. you know, enough pressure when there is a, a significant age gap. And then to have it be, you know, all focus on them because of his, you know, in line to the throne. He's next in line to the throne. I think that's – insane and we yeah. know that she was hounded by paparazzi from day one she was constantly being chased in diana in her own words the documentary by tom jennings that was on netflix and i think it's now on disney plus i watched it recently but they were like hanging on to her car window it was just i mean she still was living with roommates it's just like she was yeah. definitely just not at the phase of life that charles was at when all this came to be so and she was a nursery school assistant mm-hmm. and, and a nanny yeah yeah and like Really enjoyed that, but alt worlds, yeah, yeah. So they were actually engaged three weeks earlier. So they kept the news a secret for those three weeks, and they said they really cherished that time. So it was on February third that he actually proposed. He asked Diana at a private dinner at Buckingham Palace. So in Diana's recordings that were for Andrew Morton's biography, she talks about the moment and reflects on how it all went down. Um, looking back on on what that engagement was like. So here is that recording. The next day I went to Windsor. I arrived about sort of five o'clock. He sat me down and said, will you marry me? And I laughed. I remember thinking, this is a joke. I asked, yeah, okay. And he was deadly serious. He said, you do realize just one day you'll be queen. A voice said to me inside, you won't be queen, but you'll have a tough role. So I thought to myself, okay. So I said, yes. Then I said, I love you so much, I love you so much. And he said, whatever love means. I said it then. So I thought that was great. I thought he meant that. Uh, what strikes you about that? I feel like we've heard this a couple times, but... Well, I feel like the whatever love means quote is just, you know, that's obviously it's like we've seen it again in The Crown, which is I I really enjoyed con- comparing The Crown scene to this watching the engagement interview again. But I just think Diana mentioned how that comment in the engagement interview really traumatized her. And mm-hmm. when, you know, she thought originally it was I think the quote was that it was a thick question that who what reporter would ask that and mm-hmm. then to have. You know, Charles, like his response be what whatever love means. And her response was, of course, of course, immediately. It just I think that it's just hearing it over and over again is very striking. It's heartbreaking. Yeah, I I get the impression when she's talking about her younger self, she kind of realizes how much of a teenager she really was Mm -hmm. because, you know, we don't know if he actually got down on one knee in the crown. They say he didn't. And the queen was like, it's not a power struggle. You know, you're just asking her to be your Mm -hmm. wife. So Mm -hmm. she kind of scolded him for that. And we don't know if that actually happened, obviously. But Diana says, I mean, she doesn't say that he gets down on one knee, but she says She immediately says yes, even though he gives her time to think about it. He says, you have a few weeks, you know, you're going on a trip and I'm going away and and you have some time to think about this. But she immediately says yes. And she says, I love you so much. I love you so much. And to think that she's 19 thinking about being queen and this guy she's known for six months says, here is a 12 carat Ceylon sapphire ring. And well, I guess she hadn't picked it out yet. She got to pick out her own engagement ring. So he didn't have it at the time. But still, I just feel like she was so caught up in the idea of Charles and not actually Charles. But that's just my I know. Opinion. I know. It's all it's all like it was such a whirlwind. I totally yeah. agree. So she did pick out her ring from the Gerard catalog, and it was a 12 carat Ceylon sapphire ring surrounded by diamonds. At the time it cost Prince Charles sixty thousand pounds. It's now worth more than half a million. And we know who wears that ring. Kate Middleton. <laughs> Kate's finger. <laughs> yes. And then we have the engagement interview. So this happened on February 24th, the day they announced their engagement, and we wanted to play a few moments from that. Can you take us back to when you first met? If um, you can remember. Can you remember yes, when you first met? Yes, yes, certainly can. It was 1977. Charles came to stay, his friend of my sister Sarah's, for a shoot. We sort of met in a ploughed field. I've known you previous to that. <laughs> and what did, you th- what did you think then? What was your instant impression, both of you? What did well, you think I, about Lady Diana? Well, I remember thinking what a 
very jolly and amusing and, and attractive 16-year-old she was. And, I mean, great fun. Mm. And bouncy and full of life and everything. And um, um, I don't know what you thought of me. Pretty amazing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the 16-year-old comment, it's just like it really puts into perspective the age gap, right? Hearing that. It's just, you know, I, I think about this when I watch it too. Like, Roberta, what if when, like... I know that they're in the public eye, but like, what if you had to do an engagement interview when you got engaged? Like, it's just so hard to have to sit down and so, talk about your relationship and everything. So that pressure so on top pressure. of it. I know. And I actually, when I rewatched, I got the impression that A, they are, you know, pretty smitten with each other, even though, you know, yeah, putting aside the whatever loving comment, so they are easy. like, they seem pretty in love. And I get the impression that impression also that Diana really liked that Prince Charles took most of the questions because he kind of knows how journalists and the press work. And he has this like tact about him that he kind of, you know, doesn't doesn't give too many details, but gives enough details that'll keep them satisfied. And and she seems a little nervous. So it, it was like almost like a relief that Charles is kind of jumping in at every question and, and answering for her. So I thought, you know. I know, but it is, and it is nice. also easy hindsight to like make everything super cryptic now. But it does, there are a lot of statements in that interview that feel cryptic. And I do think that their body language, you know, I'm not saying, like obviously the tabloids go nuts with body language experts and stuff like mm-hmm. that. But I just more feel that it's like, I went ahead and rewatched Kate and Williams and Megan and Harry's engagement interviews and the body language just over the course of time, like Diana and Charles are so different in terms of the how rigid they feel mm-hmm. in comparison to fast forward to Megan and Harry. So. All right. Should we move on? Yeah, we should definitely move on. <laughs> okay. <laughs> We're spending the, so much time I love on the history part. Me too. Me too. That's I my do. favorite. All right. Well, we have two major Sussex updates. So obviously... Meghan and Harry, it was announced they are no longer senior working royals. Officially, the ties have been severed. Their official patronages have been stripped, and Harry's honorary military titles are gone. So, But that doesn't mean the work is over. And, you know, I want to get into some of the points we've seen play out in the past couple weeks. So the dueling statements. I mean, the Queen released her statement at a minute past noon, and three minutes later... The Sussexes have a statement of their own, which ends with, we can all live a life of service. Service is universal. Kind of a clapback. A lot of people are taking, you know, aim at them for this because who speaks back to the queen? Well, but also, like, I just want to say, too, that, like, it's all a matter of the tone you assign to written words, right? Like, you could read it as, you know, they're just ending it and saying, we can all live a life of service. Service is universal. Or you could read it as, we can all live a life of service service. Like you can read it in a way that feels a little bit more sassy, but it does feel like to respond. I know that there's a lot of headlines about, you know, Prince William supposedly through palace sources is, you know, according to palace sources is upset that Prince Harry would say something back. Don't you feel like it's a bad look though, to like start leaking statements? It is. I mean, that's what I was like. Sources. I feel like that's going to be messy and just not a good. Yeah. It doesn't make anyone look good in that moment. And I was also thinking about it a little, maybe overthinking it, but from Prince William's side, I do think ironically, if he, if that is what is playing out where it's being leaked through palace sources and that's how we're hearing prince william's perspective on this you know he must feel incredibly voiceless as well and which ironically is how megan and harry have felt this whole time so it's just like it's it's messy yeah i wanted to read a a couple lines from the spectator peter hunt wrote an article i loved this article yeah i thought it was great he said it's called the monarchy failed harry and megan so one little part that i really liked he said to harry and megan's critics and they have plenty the equation is simple Millions of Netflix and Spotify dollars are pouring into your bank accounts. You can't be opening Fets and chipping Sodbury, not that such an opportunity was likely to have ever been high on their royal to-do list. This analysis is compelling, but misses a painful element of the sorry saga. A family has rejected one of its own. The matriarch ensured all olive branches were severed from the Megxit tree. It does feel like, you know, and he makes the point that the royals are so you know, fluid in other circumstances, like when flexible, the queen, yeah. yeah, and flexible, like the queen didn't want to wear a mask at an event. And so they had everyone tested beforehand, or, you know, they changed their last name from a German sounding name to Windsor in back in history. So I think it's just like, why couldn't they make an exception for this? And it does feel like he also says history will also reflect on how the painful lessons inflicted on the royals are after Diana's death have been forgotten. Show us you care would be a fitting lament for Prince Harry. 
Yeah. It does feel like Prince Harry loses the most because it's his actual family. It's his grandmother. Well, I think that that's definitely how I felt after reading that piece. But in general, like, I don't know, please write us because I don't know if anyone else felt this, but all weekend I felt super down. Like I was like, Mm. when obviously this news broke Friday morning, we were busy with the BBC interview, which was exciting. But I felt like after the sort of adrenaline of getting through that and then you know, everything else going on with the royal family in general, there's a lot of drama going on with Prince Philip, which we'll get into and things like that. That's not drama, but just sadness. And I think I just felt really sad that a compromise couldn't be reached here. Like, I think that it, you know, after reading that piece in in the spectator or spectator, I felt like it is very complicated, of Mm -hmm. course. Like Harry and Meghan had asked a year ago to basically have their cake and eat it too. And they mm-hmm. that's a big ask. I mean, it's very complex what they're asking with taxpayers involved and things like that. But I feel like why couldn't there have been sort of some sort of compromise or solution? This is a modern monarchy. That's what you right. want. You want it to have the longevity. So I just felt, it felt heavy to me that there wasn't yeah. something. Because I think we all, if the queen had figured something out, I feel like we would have been like, what the queen says, it goes. Like, I trust in the queen, you know? Exactly, exactly. And it it does seem like for other, so other non-working royals do have honorary military titles. So that feels like just like Prince Michael of Kent. um, And Harry's a real. Andrew still has his honorary titles and patronages. It's unbelievable. Like, I just don't. You know, and the Sussexes just bring so much. Like, I think that if there was an arrangement to be made, it's just it really bolsters the royal, the firm and the British royal monarchy. So I think everyone would have felt so good if there was some sort of compromise, as I think the Spectator piece mentions, where it's like if Harry was able to come back and participate in Trooping the Color and these kind of bigger events as Remembrance Day, Remembrance Day, laying a wreath, things like that. I think we would just feel so great to see that, that the family was able to figure something out out. And instead, I think that for Harry and Meghan, I can't imagine how it would feel. Right now, they're blocked from returning because of the pandemic. But like, would it feel good to come back right now? I don't know what's going on behind the scenes. I know. On the bright side, I feel like they are still so happy to have their private patronages. So they have Mayhew and Smartworks for Meghan, Wellchild Invictus, and Centiball for Harry. They also, you know, show that what they want to do is something like donating to a women's shelter in Texas Mm -hmm. after the disaster in Texas. They donated to Genesis Women's Shelter and, you know, things like that where they can really kind of put Archwell to work at the drop of a hat. Like, I do think that they want to be able to decide what disaster areas they need, you know, their help most. And and I think that they have the freedom now to do that. They can have the complete freedom. And I think that that's that's amazing. I just think that it's just... I don't know. I obviously love the royals. This is why we do the podcast. I just wish that there there was a way to have continued Harry and Meghan's role formally somehow and kept, you know, them in I know. so that there were happy kind of all together moments. It feels like I think that we'll get back to that. And this is an evolution because obviously, you know, when Charles comes on the throne and and William eventually things like that, I think that this is all going to evolve this role and relationship. It's just more sad right now. I feel sad right now. I know. I do feel hopeful, though. I think, you know, it is it's so disheartening to feel like the monarchy couldn't make it work for two of the most loved people in the family right now. And especially for, you know, an African-American woman. I do Mm -hmm. think that that just, it's, it shows that they're still so locked into tradition that they can't evolve. And, And I think that we'll just have to see how it plays out. But I do think that it's history will not look favorably on on that decision. Yeah, I was thinking, knows? I was who like, knows? what will, if if the crown does end up covering this era in time, like, I know that it's fictional. I know that it's not, act, yeah. you know, there's a lot of liberties taken, but what will, how will they reflect this time? Exactly. Well, we saw Meghan and Harry this week. And while they didn't, you know, speak up about this news, it was a pre-recorded clip during Spotify's Stream On event, which was a fun little tech kind of consortium little virtual event thingy where Spotify laid out its vision for a new golden age of audio. So here is that clip. We're using podcasting to drive powerful conversations that inspire, challenge, and educate. We created Archwell Audio to make sure that we can elevate voices that maybe aren't being heard and hear people's stories. And the biggest part of this is trying to create this community mm-hmm. of where you can share. We'll encourage everybody else to then share their own vulnerabilities within that safe space. 
So the Oscar de la Renta dress, stunning, amazing, beautiful. Can't really see a baby bump. This could have been recorded, you know, whatever. We don't know. But I love that Elizabeth Holmes pointed out the name of the dress, Citrus Primavera. Primavera is Italian for spring. So rebirth, new life. Love that connection. Also, lemons, when life gives you lemons. Very, very interesting statement there. And also that Primavera is what inspired the queen's wedding dress, a painting by Botticelli called Primavera. So some interesting tie-ins there. Um, I also, you know, it's very Italian to me, like Positano and Sorrento and that kind of thing. And do you remember when Megan was pregnant with their first child with Archie that one of the top names guesses was Allegra, which is Italian for happy. Oh, yeah. It was the sixth most... Highest odds in the betting, I guess, in the betting world. Fascinating. Allegra. Yeah. So I don't know. Archie and Allegra. Who knows? Yeah. Who knows? Oh, my gosh. I just loved in that video how tan Harry looked, but yeah, can't get over bl- that. California sunshine is they're doing glowing. it wonders. Yeah. Um, well, you know, a quick update. We saw Prince William's first appearance in 2021 out in public. You know, the UK is still in the lockdown. I think that they're talking about potentially lifting that in early April. The prime minister is just starting to make sort of a plan for that. But he, William was able to visit a vaccine center at the King's Lynn Corn Exchange. And it's actually not that far from Anmer Hall. So he made a uh, trip over there to kind of see how the progress was going. They've apparently done an exponentially large amount of vaccinations in that area. So that's really great. I just feel like seeing William, you know, it's just hard with everything going on. I think that he looked, to me, he looked... A little bit tired. I mean, we're obviously it's hard when people are wearing masks, you're only mm-hmm. seeing above the eyes. But I think it's just probably, again, his point of view been a really, really exhausting, draining mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, you know, it's great to see him out at an actual real live appearance. What did you think, Roberta? Yeah, I agree. I think, you know, it's interesting because we know that the Queen and Prince Philip got the vaccine and Charles and Camilla got the vaccine. But we don't know if Kate and William have gotten the vaccine no. yet. And I feel like that I would be so... I think we'll hear. I think we'll hear too. I think that would be so inspiring though for younger people um, to see them get it. And I... So I am looking forward to that. And I thought that he maybe would at this event, but no. It must have been surreal for William a little bit because we know that he had COVID back in April. My mom, actually, this is crazy. We took her to get her first shot this week. And I felt like when I was there... It really just puts into perspective how much, you know, it's been almost a year and the vaccine is here, which is a miracle of science to have something that quickly. But I think just sort of when you're in the vicinity, as I was driving her there, of people getting the vaccine is just a really heavy moment. So I wonder if William had any of those feelings as well. I wanted to say, yay, Rachel's mom. I know. I'm so excited. That's feel. Isn't it such a relief, though? It's to know? such a relief. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, just it's impossible getting these appointments, it seems, but it is such a relief to be on the way to that kind of um, seeing a little bit of the other side. I mm-hmm. am going to send you a link because we don't always talk about William's, fa- you know, the men's fashion here. But I did think that this was kind of funny is that Prince William was wearing the same blue sweater as when he was met Prince Char- Princess Charlotte, or not met Princess Charlotte, but when she arrived and he took Prince George to oh, the Lindo yeah. wing. Doesn't it oh. like it's And I tried to like ID the sweater, but that doesn't exist for Prince William. I'm so sorry, Prince William. <laughs> I like searched the whole internet. There's a lot about the kids. There's a lot about, uh, obviously, Kate, Meghan, the Queen, everybody, but not Men's Prince William. Men's <laughs> fashion has been long overlooked for the royals. We definitely would like more information on yeah, that. It was, I love uh, it. But I loved that little pop of I guess you can call it cornflower blue right yeah anyways so so. yeah but great to see Prince William I know it is it is it always is so now we have our interview with Beth and Holt and we recorded this last week as Rachel mentioned here it is Roros, we're thrilled to welcome Bethan Holt to the pod. She's the author of The Duchess of Cambridge, A Decade of Modern Royal Style, and Fashion News and Features Director for The Telegraph. She's been studying the royals' fashion choices for the last decade, and this is her first book. So welcome, Bethan. We're so thrilled to have you. Hello. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for having me. So first things first, where are you chatting us from? So I am uh, just outside London, where I live. For any royal fans, I live really near Hampton Court Palace. 
I've been I there. I've, I went. That was a big stop when I went to the UK, I think, in 2017. I loved oh, it. Really? The gardens are so gorgeous. Oh, yeah. Go there every weekend and they have all the royal dress collections. Yes. Oh, yes. There yeah. As well. So, um, yeah, not that that was exactly the reason I chose to live here, but it definitely <laughs> yeah. makes but it better. perfect for research, I'm <laughs> <Yeah>. assuming. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And how are you holding up during the pandemic and lockdown and everything? Oh, I just, I don't know. I feel so grateful just to have a job and be really busy and have all these, you know, have distractions. I live in a nice area. I can go out for runs and walks. I mean, we're on quite full lockdown in the UK. Mm-hmm, so right. going for a walk is like the highlight of anything we can possibly do. But you fresh know, air makes such a difference grateful. too. Yeah. Fresh air really helps so much. It really does. Yeah. I think everyone's really realized that this year. So um yeah, I'm just super grateful. I know so many people are in much worse situations. So, yeah. Um, well, before we get into the book, we just wanted to ask about the Sussex baby news because this broke over the weekend and we are so, so excited. So we wanted to know what was your reaction to the news? Well, obviously, it's any baby news is incredibly exciting, isn't it? And I think especially when you know that they have been through their, their baby loss as well. I think any good-hearted human being would just be incredibly happy for them. I've actually um, just been spending my day writing up an interview I did with Wes Gordon, who designed um, the dress that she wore. um, And they kind of go back a really long way. She used to kind of go to his shows at Fashion Week and she Mm. interviewed him for her blog once. So he was incredibly happy. And um, he was really making the point about her wearing a dress that's two years old as well. Um, which I think is really nice, you know, just kind of added to that relaxed um, element of the pictures. So um, it's just great. And um, yeah, bring on more royal babies. I know. And on the heels of Eugenie, too, I feel like we've had, you know, quite a month already. Totally. Yeah. 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 I also I did want to say we loved your piece in The Telegraph about comparing the first birth announcement or what she was kind of going through when she was on, on tour in Australia to then even how different it is now. Like the Notting Hill comparisons alone. Yeah, that's so true. I mean, they couldn't have been more thrust onto the world stage as they made that announcement. I remember the pictures landed of her kind of getting off the plane with all these folders in front of her (laughs) stomach. And then a few hours later, just being in front of the, you know, the opera house in Sydney, um, looking very businesslike. She had, you know, I mean, I haven't had a baby, so I don't really know what being pregnant's like, but... Um, from what my friends tell me it's pretty full-on you know and (laughs) doing a royal tour um uh, yeah that's just incredible that she managed to pull that off so yeah there's such a contrast that they can just be relaxing um in their new home together and you could really tell that from the portrait as well Mm -hmm. um I loved Harry's bare feet as well I just thought I did really good California Yeah, totally. A royal uh, foot pick. Yeah, that was great. Um, and, and just like you mentioned, the contrast of the sheath dress that she wore. I think you mentioned this in the article, too. I think it was called the Blessed Dress, or that was the name yeah. of it or something. And yeah, then, there was some good, clever fashion messaging yeah, there. Yeah, but to then have this flowy maxi dress, it was just, it was a kind of, you know, their new life, a new chapter. It was like, it like. breathing out in mm-hmm. fashion form. <laughs> yeah, completely. And for me, the Notting Hill comparisons, I just love that because I loved that Julia Roberts movie. <laughs> yes. I, I was yeah. like, saw it right away. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'd like to think that was on their mood board yeah, for it, sure. <laughs> the mood board. <laughs> for their birth announcement. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, so Thank on to you. your book. Uh, I just want to, we adore it. And it was just such a fun oh. sort of trip down memory lane. And I loved the way it was organized, everything about it. Uh, and I, I think especially, you know, just kind of the detail, the level of detail where it's like, you know, you describe how Kate owns 77 Alexander McQueen items. She's worn nude shoes 125 times. And this was a personal favorite that she has 10 Breton tops. It kind of makes <laughs> me feel better about the number in my closet. Uh, but as the book says, your royal style is your professional obsession. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Totally. Yes. Well, I mean, even before I became a fashion journalist, I was definitely really interested in the royals. It's something I'd grown up with. My mother loved um, Hello magazine, which, Mm -hmm. you know, covers the royal family in, you know, great detail. Um, And I was that weird child who was reading Hello magazine rather than reading. I was the weird child reading People magazine magazine all the time as a kid. And I totally understand. It's like, why was I doing that at such a young age? But I know it's so weird. I don't know what was um, what I was quite taking from it. But um, anyway, something must have stuck. And um, 
when I became a, a journalist, which was 10 years ago. Um, so my, the start of my career kind of coincided with the start of Kate's royal life. And I think I've realised more and more over, over that time, just how much thought goes into um, these, these outfits and the level of detail. And also, if you're kind of, I'm a bit of a history geek as well, and you can almost see history playing out in front of you. You see all those references, you see um, the way that, that fashion was used by royalty in the past being applied to the present, but in a kind of clever way that's applicable for kind of our social media age. So yeah, I mean, I've just become completely obsessed about finding all those little details and potential references that, that might have gone into it. And I was just so happy to be able to kind of pour my brain into this book a little bit. Yeah, um, absolutely. Which was really fun. Was yeah. there a royal outfit that went like in your 10 years kind of working in this profession and covering it? that sucked you in? Was there a particular style moment for Kate or any of the royals that you were like, this is just, I'm, I'm in? <laughs> oh, wow. That's such a good question. I don't know. I mean, I, I really remember when she, when Prince George was born and she was on the steps of the Lindo wing and you could just see that it was this very easygoing, relaxed Jenny Packham dress that she wore but then there were those um, nods to Diana in the past as well and I thought that was really clever. Another one that really sticks out for me as well was when they went on their tour to India and one of the first dresses that she wore was um, an Alexander McQueen paisley dress I don't know if you remember and paisley is such an interesting pattern because it kind of has its origins in India but also in the UK and Scotland Scotland is where it gets its its name paisley from Mm. so it was like a really clever pattern to kick off that tour with and I remember just kind of really delving into that and um yeah, then there was no stopping me after that. <laughs> I was enjoying in your book, even like when she was the, before she was engaged, the wedding guest dress fashion. Dresses, that, Am yeah. I saying that right? Yeah. So I, I just remember that being something that I was like really sucked in on where it was like, that's the sort of looks and the hats and everything too. Yeah. And I mean, in those days, I mean, those sightings were few and far between, weren't they? So right. it was even more exciting. I mean, I remember, yeah, looking out and it was like a couple of times a year, you might see her go to a, a wedding or be all dressed up like that. And we were all wondering, you know, is this going to be the woman that William marries? You know, what's her future going to be? And so yeah, it was super interesting to follow that that journey. You're right. Well, and something Roberta and I talked a lot about sort of just in preparation for talking with you, it is what you, you talk about this in the book, how the sort of timing of Kate coming on the scene at the same time that we had the birth of Instagram and the addition of images to Twitter. What was that impact? Can you talk about that a little bit? Gosh, I think that was absolutely huge. And it was only really when I started to research the book and well and to write my proposal because I was kind of trying to encapsulate this idea that no royal um, has had to face the world under the same microscopic lens as Kate has so I was thinking like social media or well when did Instagram start because anytime you see an outfit that she wears now uh, it's instantly all over Instagram. And so then when I realised Instagram started literally a few weeks before they got engaged, wow. I mean, that just collision of timing was so fascinating to me. And I think we've always seen, you know, the Queen, Diana, do this very clever dressing and dressing with messaging. But the way that Kate has been able to do it is just so amped up because it's every time she leaves the house, she can say something with her clothes and people are looking for what she's saying you know every outfit is gonna you know go all over twitter all over instagram it will make the papers the next day it will make the mag- the front covers of magazines the following week you know there's just this huge attention on her and she's really kind of maximized that i think and on the flip side of that too i feel like everything is scrutinized so much too so she does have to be super mindful of every little detail like I think in the book you mentioned um, the difference between what she wore in on her India tour versus what she wore on her Pakistan tour and how thoughtful she was about the Pakistan tour because of the backlash from the India tour and I think that's really important too that she has to think about all these things that we would never even you know putting on an outfit today I would never think about so it is yeah and I mean fashion itself has even changed in that time like there's been much more focus on kind of cultural appropriation and you know how we should treat different cultures and look at the genuine 
origins of different kinds of fashion. And so where perhaps, yeah, in that India tour in 2016, it felt right to be wearing British designers and like Indian looking things that weren't necessarily from Indian designers. Mm -hmm. By the time that 2019 tour came around, she really kind of had to go with Pakistani designers, I think. Totally. Absolutely. Another thing that I really loved in your book was when you were dissecting Kate's style and her outfit choices over the years, you mentioned her stylists, which I feel like we don't always think about, but they are always, you know, they're in the background helping her pick out outfits or even creating bespoke items for her. So one of them, her longtime stylist is Natasha Archer. And then newer one is Virginia Chadwick Healy. And can you tell us more about them? I'm sure that their relationship with Kate is sacrosanct, but I want to ask you, like, like I, I know that it's like, I don't know, I just find that in relationship so interesting. Yeah, I mean, it's fascinating. Natasha in particular has been with Kate pretty much since the beginning, not necessarily in the stylist capacity, but I think um, we really realized the impact that she was having with Kate's wardrobe around the time that Prince George was born. She was seen going into the hospital, kind of carrying her dress. And so then everyone kind of cottoned on to the fact that this might be the person helping her um, with her wardrobe. And over the years, just more and more details have kind of slowly come out. As you say, it's a very discreet relationship. And you know, obviously I would have loved to speak to Natasha for the book, but that wasn't <laughs> possible. Um, but I ha- I did glean a lot through the interviews that I did with some of the designers and the way that they spoke to me. Um, one designer actually forwarded me her whole email chain really? <laughs> with wow. Natasha, um, oh which I probably thought I thought it would probably would have been a step too far right. to, um, to publish that. But you could really see the attention to detail that she was taking. And um, another person that I interviewed was the owner of the boutique called Onita, which Mm. um, is where she sourced all her outfits for her Pakistan tour. And I mean, she was telling me about, you know, them exchanging WhatsApp messages constantly. Natasha was like asking her the right way to drape a scarf, the right way to style an outfit, what was the correct um, terminology to call all the different parts of the outfit. You know, she was so conscious of wanting to really get it right and to really honour the designers who created it. So you just see that there is so much work that I know I'm picturing it. like magazine level run throughs of them going through the mm-hmm. outfits and like and Natasha and those stylists have to be so well versed in every single detail, every single nuance, right? As they probably present them to Kate, I'm guessing, but just from yeah. like my magazine days. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, no, you're totally right. I love that idea actually. I'm now thinking of like a scene in Devil Wears Prada. <laughs> yeah, <sometimes. laughs> Something tells me Kate is not anything like those sort no, of like no, the Anna no, Wintour character, that but lovely. <laughs> exactly. That's the so racks funny. of clothing. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's great. Um, yeah. But now with Virginia or Ginny, Chadwick Healy on scene, is, I feel like Kate's style has really evolved over the past couple of years. Do you think that's because of this new stylist? Or Yeah, I think it's lots of things coming together. I think Natasha is still very, very involved and she's the kind of full-time person. But my sense is that Ginny was able to sprinkle some newness and to just help refresh things a bit, introduce them to some different brands, to some different ideas of how Kate could evolve her style a little bit while still remaining regal. And I think that has been so fascinating to see. I remember being so excited um, when Kate went out in that Erdem tweed dress. I don't oh, know if you guys remember it. one of my favourites of all time. And it was like off shoulder and the cut was just exquisite. And what was so clever about that was, you know, Erdem had been designing for her for years. This wasn't like some crazy new decision that she'd made, but it was just the kind of thing that she was commissioning from those brands and just taking it up a level. And I think obviously everyone refers to that Gucci blouse, the pussy bow blouse. Mm. I mean, she just looked incredible that day, you know, in the high-waisted trousers. Trousers were another thing. I mean, she hardly ever wore trousers apart from skinny jeans, but you'd never see her wearing trousers in a formal context. And now she wears them, you know, quite often. Mm. Um, So yeah, it's been really exciting to see her just become a bit more confident like that and just take a few more risks, but still stay really true to what 
a duchess, I suppose, should look like. Yeah. Totally. And we do need to ask you, have you bought anything yourself that has been inspired by Kate? Because I know I have. I've been personally influenced by Kate so much. And just the fact that she kind of has that impact on the economy, the UK economy. I mean, it's unreal. I mean, we're all impacted by her. Yeah, it's so true. And I mean, even if you don't buy the exact same thing that she wears, I think lots of the ideas seep through. Personally, I love a headband. I'd be wearing a headband right now if I weren't wearing <laughs> Roberta would be too. She was <laughs> really right, right before. <laughs> it's right next to me. I, d- I didn't realize this was not going to work. Oh, that's headphones really, nice really you know, deter from our, our style there. <laughs> I love the hairbands. Um, and I also loved the Alessandra Riche polka dot dress mm. as well. And I have to confess, I did buy a slightly less expensive version of that um, and loved wearing it. So Roberta, have you yeah. bought anything by Kate? I think the headband too, the accessories, definitely. I um, I know I definitely have some of their skincare, like M- Megan yes. and Kate both kind of, I've bought some things that they're rumored to have or um, fragrances like Jo Malone and things like that. So what about you, Rachel? Have you- I feel like for me, it was mainly just like her maternity style. I have a toddler and I feel like that was where I went to like Seraphine and kind of did some of those looks. Oh, yeah. Just in your oh, experience nice. researching too, like, because we know that these items sell out so fast and just working for the tele- do you have any sort of insight intel about how to snag some of these items extra quickly or mm. <laughs> uh, we uh, had to well, ask. <laughs> I think be a journalist yeah. is a really great tip <laughs> it does help um because often especially now that they're doing all these zoom calls we get the pictures under embargo mm. wow. so like um last week she wore that LK Bennett jumper and um, I could go on the website and find it before it was kind of out with the was rest of the world. Was it sold out when you went on? I, it wasn't sold out when <sighs> I went on because it hadn't, it, you know, it hadn't cut, like, the fully embargo come out. Because I was looking, yeah, like, yeah. I think on a four-hour delay and it was sold out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, apart from that, I guess if, if you miss out once it's sold out, then just saving an eBay search. I think lots of people kind of buy them, wear them, and then realize that, they're not perhaps going to wear it again or renting as well. I don't know how big renting is in the US, but we have a few things in the UK now where um, you can rent dresses and definitely lots of places you can rent that vampire's wife dress that she wore. Oh, um, yeah. The green one. Yeah. Yeah. Which and all those, really um, good. you interview some of them for the book, all those royal replicate accounts. I feel like the yes. people that actually really do like comb websites for lookalikes is um, is a whole industry in and of itself. So it yeah. really is. It's amazing. The dedication of those women is it is dedication. Else. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. So you said the first outfit that sort of kind of captured you when you were starting in your career. What it, after all the research you did for your book, do you have a favorite Kate look? Oh my gosh. Um, I feel like this question changes every time, like my answer. I keep regretting not saying this one, so I'm going to say this one now. It's when she wore Chanel in Paris. Mm. Obviously, she went to Paris. Paris is like the capital of fashion. So many different fashion houses that she could have worn when she went there. And I remember when she landed, we were all so excited in the office, like, is she going to wear Chanel? Is she going to wear Dior? Like, what's going to happen? And I think on the first day, she wore, like, British brands. Like, she wore this great tweed dress that looked like Chanel, but it was McQueen. And then she wore a Jenny Packham dress. And then the next morning, she came out in a Chanel tweed coat. But she'd really gone the full Chanel. That's what I loved. So she'd wore, she had a belt with the interlocked C logo and a little quilted bag that Stunning. had the CC logo yeah. as well. And, um, yeah, she just totally embraced being dressed by Chanel. So I loved that because that was a real kind of high fashion moment at a time when she maybe wasn't having so many of those. So yeah, it really is. That belt is something I feel like you'd see like your favorite fashion influencer wear too. Like something that you could wear in your normal life. So I love that too. It's really beautiful. All right, Rachel, what about you? Normal buying Chanel belt. I mean, a knockoff. I I have to say it would be a knockoff for me. (laughs) Me too, me too. Uh, In your opinion, has she ever had a miss, Kate? Um, Well, there's one that that I bring up in the book, which was when she went to India. She wore a very cheap dress that was like by this high street brand, perhaps slightly murky in terms of where it had been made. And you know, maybe that didn't read so well when she was visiting kind of um, very poor 
area in India. Mm-hmm. I mean, I have to say from a personal perspective, there were a few years, kind of maybe 2013 to 2015, where there probably aren't loads of looks that I couldn't really get excited about. But I can see and appreciate what she was doing at the time. But I really feel like the fact that she's had this journey and has really embraced fashion much more the past few years made the book really exciting and more kind of possible, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Oh, go ahead, Roberta. I was going to say to see that progression too, because I feel like some of the earlier outfits, I'm almost shocked at the level of not trendiness there is to it. You know, it's just so, I feel like it, it's almost a little bit cringy. I hate to say that, but it's just like, and it's almost like looking back at yourself in 2010. Yeah, it's Good like God, what did I wear back then? Yeah. <laughs> like, but that's but, what's so amazing about your book is just the progression to see that evolution all in one place is just yeah. like, I think I totally agree with you that every time I flip through, I feel like I have a different look that I'm thinking about that's a favorite that's bubbling up or things like that. But it's hard to choose. It's really hard to choose. It is. And I also actually really respect her for not diving into fashion immediately as well, I have to say, because I think she maybe got a bit of flack for that originally. And people were saying that it wasn't as exciting as it could have been. But when you think about all the history that was behind her, I mean, I know people hate comparisons to Diana, but they were bound to happen. And I think if she had dived into, you know, just embracing every fashion trend out there and just being a kind of fashion plate, that would have backfired. And Mm -hmm. so I really like this slow, steady progression that we've seen. It really shows the confidence that she has in herself and the long game that she's playing. I mean, we have got decades more of Kate to come. So it's (laughs) not peak too soon. Yeah, that's perfect. Yeah, no, and and that actually is a perfect segue into one last question I wanted to ask you, which is on this podcast, we have talked extensively about Diana's sheep sweater in terms of just how- (gasps) I listened to your interview (laughs) with um, Diana and Sally. That was so exciting for us. Oh, thank you. That means so much. (laughs) Oh, that was such a huge moment for us. But, and just to how- iconic that that look is does Kate have her her version of a sheep sweater not in terms of just the recognition or whether it's a certain style or silhouette is there something that we could call Kate's sheep sweater no there's nothing that's quite as naughty as the sheep sweater (laughs) or kind of you know tinged with that like rebelliousness but I do think the skinny jeans Mm -hmm. because you know we loads of people when they think of Kate they think of skinny jeans Um, It's become a real kind of classic look for her. And it is something that's unexpected from a royal in the same way that that sheep sweater was. I think it's something that kind of normal women everywhere would wear. And it's a way that she shows her kind of normality, I think. And so, yeah, I'd say the skinny jeans, but I don't know. It would be nice to see something with that a little bit more rebellion. But I just don't think it's going to happen. Yeah, I love that. I love that. I feel like she's always been true to herself in that way and that she's always had this more casual side and sp- she's sporty and outdoorsy and I think that that always shines through for her. Um, so that's awesome. Yeah. All right, well, our last, our very last question, we ask all of our guests, if you could identify with any royal, living or dead, who would it be and why? Well, I think I have to say Diana, even though mm. I do not have any of the... Um, I don't know, the kind of spirit that she had. I am just utterly fascinated by her and the journey that she went on and what she was thrust into early in her royal life. So yeah, I probably don't like personally relate to her that much, apart from her style, because I love loads of the things that she wore. I love the big collars. I love... Um, I was going to say, I saw video, an Instagram live of you with a beautiful <laughs> collar on yeah. that reminded me of Diana. So Yeah, I have a lot of Diana collars. So on a style level, I definitely relate to her. And I am just fascinated by her as a woman and what she represented and the huge kind of change that she created in society, which still resonates today, just amazes me. So... Yeah. Maybe another book. We Yeah. I don't want to put any more pressure on you right after your first book. But well, thank you so much, yeah, Beth. Such this was such a privilege so to talk to lovely. you. Oh, thank you both. This is so fun. And I love your podcast. So I'm really happy Aww. I could come on. And here. tell our <laughs> listeners where they can follow you on Instagram. What's your handle? So I am at Bethan Holt on Instagram and Twitter. Nice and easy. And yeah. her book is on sale now. Woohoo! It yes, is. The Duchess of Cambridge, A Decade of Modern Royal Style. All right. 
Thanks, Bethan. So nice Thank to meet you. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. So much fun to talk to her about Kate Middleton, the Duchess of Cambridge, all things royal fashion. Can't get enough of that. Cannot. Before we adjourn the royal pod, here are highs and lows. It's time for the royal highs and lows. So my low is Prince Philip's health. And we have a few updates that actually seem pretty positive, but just that he's still in the hospital is my low. Oh, and and I want to mention that we are recording this on Tuesday in case any breaking news happens before then. And the episode goes live this Thursday. So we're two days out. So it has been a week, though, since he was admitted to the hospital. The palace released a statement saying that he's in good spirits. The Duke of Edinburgh remains at King Edward VII's hospital, where he's receiving medical attention for an infection. He is comfortable and responding to treatment, but is not expected to leave the hospital for several days. So from today, Tuesday, it's been a week since he was admitted. So I'm definitely optimistic. I'm trying I'm trying to stay yeah. optimistic. I'm worried though. Prince William did give an update at that event. He said he's doing okay and they're keeping an eye on him. Also, Prince Charles visited over the weekend. He was there for 30 minutes. He left and the tabloids went crazy over saying he was teary-eyed. I just feel like wearing a mask, like you're probably <laughs> flushed and like I know. I I think to you zoom would be in on that there. Feels. Yeah. If it was I mean, I, I am telling myself that if it was extremely serious, he would be there longer than 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. So that's what. And we know that Charles and Philip both have their, at least their first dose of the vaccine. So that mm-hmm. is hopeful. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm definitely feeling that. My low that. is going into a high because I really want to stay optimistic here for Prince Yes, Paul. for sure. Uh, Milo is the sort of juxtaposition of this Oprah interview with the Commonwealth Day that is now having to take place via a TV special versus in real life. It's been reported that this actually, the plans for the Commonwealth Day special have been in the works since January. And so it was just confirmed three weeks ago, but now we know that the Oprah interview is going to air right after. So because, and, and because of the time difference, it will air just a few hours past. So what that means, and this is where I feel like it's a little, it's a major low for me, is that we're going to wake up on Monday, March 8th, and the headlines are just going to be, it's going to be battle the headlines with both of these things. So yeah. I'm just feeling like it feels ugh, for me. But we do know. know that the Commonwealth Day special is going to have Kate, William, Sophie, Charles, and the Queen is pre-taped. That was the part I'm a little confused about. Is it all pre-taped? Is it live with the rest of them so I guess we'll find out but I find it interesting that Oprah Winfrey has already conducted the interview yeah Harry and Meghan supposedly the Sunday Times reported that and also that Oprah left the Santa Barbara airport six hours after Harry and Meghan issued their service is universal statement so she was in Santa Barbara when they issued that statement and left to fly back to wherever afterwards. Ugh. Did she get their, like, response to it? You know what I mean? Like, is there, like... I, I Yeah. I guess... I mean, March 7th, we're all going to be <laughs> appointment, like that appointment be TV. What a producer would want to get is their reaction to the Queen's statement and everything. But who knows? Who knows? Um, yeah. We'll have to wait and see. My high this week is we got Eugenie's baby name. So oh. August Philip Hawk Brooksbank. What a unique name. I, Can we call I'm him like, Augie? Augie or Gus. Or Gus. So cute. I like Gus, too. Me, too. Um, So he's named after his grandfathers and great times five grandfathers. Augustus was actually Prince Albert's middle name. Prince Albert was the husband of Queen Victoria. And then Reverend Edward Hawk Brooksbank is Jack Brooksbank's great, 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 great grandfather. And then I loved the headband. I have to shout this out. Jennifer Bear. The headband is, I think, $200, $225. Yeah, around there. I want one. <laughs> I do too. I love I the say. brighter colors. It's just so beautiful in a photo. It really is the modern day crown. It is. And she's she's pulling it off magnificently. I feel like that was <laughs> the focal point of the picture. That's what my eyes were drawn to, even though August is so cute and his little hand is wrapped around her finger. Oh my gosh. Those oh, pictures. Oh my gosh. I still drawing. Yeah. <laughs> love it. Love it. So my high is not at all related to the firm or the British royal family. It is related to Bridgerton. The fact that reggae. Still important. <laughs> still important. Reggae Jean Page hosted SNL. We're going to play a clip from NBC's broadcast this past weekend. Now you probably recognize me from Bridgerton. <laughs> the show that made everyone turn to their moms and say, you know what? Never mind. I don't think we should watch this together. <laughs> 
that right there, that that's my high because that, that was, was my me. life. Remember I told you that? I was like, <laughs> you and your mom are going to watch it together. You might not want to, but please go back and check out the clips from him hosting his monologue. I saw, I saw it live this weekend. It was so good. The um, sea shanty oh, uh, little sketch really was got so me. so good. <laughs> also, he can sing. That unchained He's melody incredible, moment. incredible. <sighs> I'm like fanning myself. There's no. <laughs> nothing he can't do Nothing he can't point. do. Totally. Yeah. All right. Well, just a reminder before we close, leave us a royal rating. Here's a recent review by Seabroom18. She or he says, I look forward to this pod every week and it never fails to give my Thursday workday that boost of joy I need to get through my shift. Rachel and Roberta are thoughtful, funny, and genuinely concerned with reporting accurate news about the royals. I love that they are never mean-spirited but give their honest opinions on the weekly royal news. As a BIPOC, I also love knowing that I have allies in them both. Keep up the amazing work, ladies. God save the pod. Such Indeed. a kind review. Thank, Thank you, you for so writing. Much. Yeah. Yes. And you can write us at info at gallerypodcast.com or leave a review. And you can follow us on Instagram at Royally Obsessed Podcast. And also personally, I'm at Robbie Frito. And I'm at RKBNYC. Until next week, God, God save, save the, the pod. pod. Her Majesties of Royally Obsessed have retired for this episode. God save the pod. And if you fancy the podcast, give Royally Obsessed the royal rating of five stars on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Instagram at Royally Obsessed Podcast and join our Facebook group, Royally Obsessed. Royally Obsessed is a gallery podcast production.